On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. The two headwinds, the supply chain disruptions and the labor shortages, those are the two major issues that are impacting small business owners right now. Small businesses face challenges, but now a new effort is designed to help them survive. A new online business degree option now available. And in our business profile, we'll talk about a future entity that could make bottle and can redemption easier. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of September 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. Running a small business has challenges. Post-pandemic, those have included hiring issues, supply chain disruption, and inflation. To help small businesses that have struggled during the pandemic, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, NFIB, has launched the Small Business Survival Campaign. Holly Wade is executive director of the NFIB Research Center. Small business owners are having a difficult time depending on where they're located in the country, what industry they're in, in navigating the pandemic. Two of the biggest headwinds, though, for most small business owners currently are dealing with staffing shortages and supply chain disruptions. So those two issues are particularly difficult right now for many small business owners to deal with in trying to get their business back up and running, navigating through the pandemic. It's bad enough to be kind of pushing against headwinds on a good day, right? Because you're an independent business, you're a small operator by definition, and there are a lot of folks who are competing with you. But then when it's things that are very much outside your control, as noted, a pandemic, So your customer base is now different or looking at different things. The inability to get items to market, that really just changes the whole dynamic. Have we had a lot of people in the past year and a half simply say, that's it, I have to give it up, I can't meet all of these challenges? Certainly, there have been many businesses that have had to close temporarily and also permanently, unfortunately. So there is that dynamic in play too. Um, Those who were temporary closures, you know, tried to figure out ways to adjust business operations to get back up and running. But in our last survey, our last COVID survey that we've released a few weeks ago, many of those who are dealing with specifically staffing shortages Many of them say that they are losing sales opportunities because of that. And so that is a particular challenge in having to navigate increases in consumer spending and not being able to appropriately staff enough to take advantage of those opportunities. And that is an ongoing challenge. And unfortunately, many small business owners small employers aren't seeing an end in sight to this issue. And a constant issue, it seems, over the past several years, now made even worse, even if they want to expand, even if they don't have the challenges you just mentioned, supply chain, etc., they can't find qualified workers. And that is whether we're talking about very large manufacturers or a two- or three-person small business. 
Absolutely. And they're certainly willing to take the time and resources for in-person training, on-the-job training, just their inability to compete and attract those applications to fill those positions is very difficult for many small employers. They are adjusting business operations to compensate, whether that's adjusting business hours, days that they're open, and certainly encouraging their current staff to take on more hours if that's something that they're interested in doing, whether that's overtime for full-time employees or more hours for part-time employees. But the situation is particularly difficult for those who have many unfilled job openings. It would appear to me, and this is my experience running a business as a lawyer, when the government sets forth rules, it is especially difficult for smaller operators to take those all in, be able to follow all the rules, all the mandates, because it's yet one more layer of bureaucracy, one more burden. And you folks are really concerned about a few key things that are being considered in Washington right now that might adversely impact America's and Iowa's small businesses. Absolutely. So increase in regulations, increases in tax compliance issues. And, you know, because the owner, one of their most valuable resources is their time in operating their business. And the primary investment source or finance source for expanding and putting money into the businesses from profits. So both factors, whether it's increased costs, government costs, whether it's federal taxes or state taxes, but then also, as you mentioned, regulatory compliance, because the owner is often the person who has to navigate and figure out if they have to comply with the regulation and which regulation and and all the paperwork that surrounds it in filling it out. And that is often very burdensome. And the increase in both those areas is incredibly challenging for small business owners specifically. There are some, shall we say, optimistically named plans in Washington, the American Jobs Plan, the American Families Plan, something called Human Infrastructure. How might those impact the small businesses that you work with on a regular basis? Sure. Well, a lot of the programs have revenue increases. So, you know, whether they're talking about increasing the corporate rate or increasing the top individual rate, increasing regulations that they would have to comply with, whether it is paid leave or other types of business related mandates that they'll have to navigate and figure out, all of it is impacting their time commitment that they can't now spend on their business and operating their business and the cost of doing business, increasing that total government compliance costs that creeps into their ability to kind of use those profits and revenues to reinvest in their business. So particularly challenging, there are many headwinds. And unfortunately, some of the proposals for the federal government, some of their proposals are going to impact small businesses too. And uh, you know, it's just an added burden, an added layer of complexity that they'll have to navigate if pushed through. 
Your organization, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, is trying to help these small businesses out with regard to all of these different things that we've mentioned through something called Small Business Survival. And we'll give the website in a moment where people can go for information, but talk about what they'll find if they go online and what led you folks to come up with this unified advocacy effort. Sure. So we know that there are a lot of changes and proposals in D.C., We want to make sure that small business owners understand what they might have to comply with, what those added costs, how that might impact them. And so we have this survival campaign to make sure that our members, small business owners, understand and are aware of what's happening in D.C., that they can contact their elected officials and make sure that they understand how these proposals will impact small firms in their state. And then we are also engaged with our members through webinars and making sure they understand what is happening. And then also a webinar series on the different federal stimulus programs, some that are still available for small business owners. It's a lot of information that they're having to absorb, unfortunately. A lot of it is complicated and possibly will impact them. And so we are trying to make it easy as possible for them to remain up to date and aware of what's happening in D.C. Perhaps an unfair final question. It won't stop me from asking it, but I will ask you to polish the crystal ball. If we were to talk in six months, 12 months, three years, what do you think will be the answer to the question, how did small business recover from the pandemic? Sure. Well, you know, the recovery from the pandemic is going to be a challenge. It's impacting small business owners differently regarding where, you know, what industry they're in, where they're located in the country. Some, you know, through our survey work, some small business owners are above pre-pandemic levels of sales opportunities, and some are still under 50% of where they were in 2019. So, you know, in six months, unfortunately, the supply chain disruptions, the staffing shortages are likely going to be headwinds facing small business owners. Hopefully, though, in your timeline of three years, things look better and, and you know, we've established kind of where we're going forward, but it's not as chaotic as what it looks like now. The two headwinds, the supply chain disruptions and the labor shortages, those are the two major issues that are impacting small business owners right now. Unfortunately, they're not seeing in the in the near future, um, they're anticipating these headwinds continuing for some time and not easing up. Those are going to be the biggest challenges for small business owners through the end of 2021 and into 2022, unfortunately. Holly Wade of the National Federation of Independent Businesses Research Center. We connected via Zoom on Wednesday, September 22. The website for more information is nfib.com slash small biz survival. Still to come, gaining your degree online and a new option to help recycling of bottles and cans. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa. The first-ever family business conference will be held in Des Moines on Thursday, November 11th. 
designed to connect, educate, and provide helpful resources for family businesses. For more, go to AdvanceIowa.com and click on the Events tab. Support for the Iowa Business Report also comes from Iowa History Journal. The new September-October issue features a story on an Iowa native with a stellar military career, another who was an NFL star, and still another who became a Hollywood legend. Get your copy of Iowa's only popular magazine devoted exclusively to its fascinating history at Fairway, IV, and at iowahistoryjournal.com. The University of Northern Iowa this past week announced it is expanding its Management Business Administration Bachelor of Arts degree to include fully online, part-time options, and students can begin enrolling as early as next spring. The program will be taught by the same faculty as the on-campus program, and the curriculum will be the same. The idea is to reach adult learners from across Iowa and beyond. The Iowa Board of Regents this month approved creation of the new online option. For more information, go online to distance.uni.edu slash business-admin-online. And again, this is a fully online, part-time program. The protocols established during the pandemic have led to UNI and other institutions across the country offering such online options, which were barely even thought of only a year and a half ago. Coming up, adding convenience to redemption. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa and its Family Business Center presenting another event in the Virtual Breakfast Series on Friday, October 15th on finding and keeping key non-family employees. To learn more or to register, go to AdvanceIowa.com and click on the Family Business Center tab. Support for the Iowa Business Report also comes from the Iowa Soybean Association, driven to deliver for you and your farm. Join their growing family of more than 12,000 farmer members. Activate your farmer membership today at IASoybeans.com, powered by the Soybean Checkoff. In this week's business profile, we'll introduce you to Doug Webb, President and CEO of Container Recovery Incorporated, CRINC. He introduced us to a new concept for mobile can and bottle redemption when he brought a special trailer to Cedar Falls this past Monday, part of a new effort called Drop It, spelled D-R-O-P-P-E-T-T. We were asked uh, numerous years ago to go travel in the United States and facilitate finding the best practices for the bottle bill in other states. I went and studied them, found out where the operational efficiencies were, uh, found out what they do better than we do. Um, also looked at the political uh, atmosphere, uh, facilities, the bills they had, and we came up with a program called Drop It. Uh, we believe it's clean and convenient recycling. Um, the first thing is we want to talk about is the convenience of it. So the business provides a convenient avenue for consumers to redeem their product. Um, it consists of us having put a particular location, a Dropbox, 
of that drop box, then you can bring your containers to and drop them off. But before you do that, you go to a website and sign up. And on the website, it asks for your name and address. It facilitates also going to another website, which is secure to get your information on your checking account. This is such a unique concept. I want to make sure that I really laser in on it for folks. We're talking about if I get a two-liter bottle of pop, I'm paying a nickel at the grocery store as the deposit. Mm -hmm. I can take that back and get my nickel. But realistically, if it's not easy to do, I don't want them sitting around the house. I don't want to hassle taking them into the store. What you're doing is allowing me more incentive to take these bottles back because I don't have to carry them into a store. I don't have to interact with another human being. I just use a drop-it Dropbox and an online account. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. And also, uh, even convenient more because of the ACH transaction that you had. You don't have to worry about them being open to get your money and or facilitate them not giving back your full five cents because they have to separate the containers. So, again, think about that from the retailer's aspect. They no longer have to take back the containers. So it's very convenient for them and also more clean for them to do. You brought up a great subject also on the consumer. So now the consumer doesn't have to go in with their kids and either turn in the containers and or facilitate putting them in a reverse vending machine. They also don't have to worry about the inconvenience of the facility not being open. It's 24-7. It really facilitates helping them, the consumer and the retailer, as far as convenience. Clean, again, you can't get much cleaner than putting them in a bag and putting a sticker on them and dropping them by a location. The second part is, again, like we talked about, the grocery stores uh, are very beneficial from this because they no longer have to take back containers and also the grocery stores slash retailers slash dealers. There's also a huge convenience to drop it to the redemption centers. Uh, Right now, redemption centers facilitate having to be open a certain amount of hours that are dictated by the DNR. They struggle with that because it can't find any help now. And also, it's really tough on cash and cash flow because they... Give out the nickel, but they don't get the nickel back for a significant amount of time. The drop-it program does both of those. They no longer have to have the nickel because the drop-it program gives the nickel directly to the consumer and then bills the distributor. They're taken out of that middle. So then they won't need that cash that they've needed now to give out the nickels. That'll cause them a convenience. Again, have them be more convenient for the consumer to come in and redeem their containers. So, for example, again, from a consumer standpoint, Mm -hmm. I'm at home, I may toss my old containers in a box or a can or something, and that's what I wind up hauling. And it is fun to watch the kids at Walmart when they're, you know, the Mm -hmm. parent lifts them up and they put it in, but it's time-consuming and the thrill wears off for even a kid doing that. You're talking about something where I have a bag with a barcode, and when the bag gets full, subject to a weight limit, I just drop it off anytime and I wait for the deposit to show up in my account. You do. That's exactly how you do it. So this seems so simple and convenient. Why isn't everyone doing this? At this particular time, uh, based upon other states' models, there are some legislative changes that we have to facilitate with our constituents in the state. And we're bringing this drop-it program out there to explain what it is, to talk to different people about it, to help them understand down the road if that is a change that it's possible they'll understand what's going on. So how, if this catches on, how will this impact Iowa's bottle bill, which has been around 40-plus years, and we always hear that it's time for changes to be made, 
and nobody can agree on the changes. So how does this play in with a legislative agenda? Uh, with the legislative agenda, again, we'd have to get with the constituents and pull them together. And the last couple of years, it's been great. Everybody's been at the table. It's been transparent trying to get it to this particular. But to your point, everybody has a different view on it and where it should go. We feel that Drop It provides a clean and convenient recycling process through the deposit bill to help people both sides be successful. Again, legislatively, we want to talk to the constituents and work with them to try to come up with a solution to it. We just feel that Drop It provides that opportunity. It's a change. It's taking best practices from other states and applying it to Iowa. They've already tested and true in other states. We just feel as if that gives us the opportunity with this model to have those conversations. So what will it take for this to be up and running? As we're talking, you just brought the trailer to Cedar Falls for a demonstration to show people this is what could be in the future because it's not in place now. What is necessary in order for it to be a going concern for your business in Iowa? A couple of things. Um, the first one would be we need to increase the handling fee by a penny. Uh, the second thing that's in the deposit bill is that you have to give the nickel the minute you turn in the container. We would need some time there to facilitate that. And again, that's based upon modern technology versus what it was in 1979. That's two of the basics. There's other issues that we're talking with our constituents on, but that'd be the two, uh, one of the two that we would need to have changed. Doug Webb talking about a future initiative called Drop It. More at dropit.com. And he notes that this is tailor-made for community and school fundraisers as well because the tags put on the bags can direct redemption payments to nonprofit entities in addition to your own bank account. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.